0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staffordshire University's Performing Under Pressure Podcast. I'm your host today. I'm Dr. Paul Mansell. I'm a lecturer in Sport and Exercise Psychology here, and I'm very pleased to be joined by a fresh co-host, and that's Mr. Jack Bullock. So. Welcome to the show, Jack. Do you want to just introduce yourself for the listeners today?
2: Thanks, Paul. Uh, Yes, my name is Jack Bullock. I'm a senior lecturer here in sport coaching and physical education. And I hold responsibility as course leader for undergraduate PE, sport coaching and football courses. In terms of my research interests, much down the the line, I'm sure that Megan will discuss later, PE, coaching, the football industry, um, and very interested in student experiences of education programs and within those settings.
1: Brilliant. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast as a co-host and also delighted today to welcome our guest. So I'll ask Meg Baldwin to introduce herself. She's got lots of different roles. So take your time and explain each one because they'll all have some relevance for our show today.
0: Okay, so like you said, my name is Meg Baldwin, and thank you for having me on. So yeah, like you alluded to, I've got lots of different roles. First and foremost, I am a head of PE at a local secondary school, which obviously involves a lot of curriculum, engaging young people in sports, thinking about how to do that best and for the best of the students. I also do some broadcasting, so I work as a summariser, a co-commentary on BBC Radio Stoke for Port Vale Games, so I, I do that as well. I also ha- have my own coaching company where I coach young girls, currently just football, but we are looking to branch out into other sports to give young females a platform to be able to perform in the local area. I'm trying to think what else I do, yeah, loads and loads.
1: I, I don't know how you find the time <laughs> to do all this, and I know that you've had quite a long career with Port Vale women as a, as a footballer as well, but you've just been going through quite a difficult injury, haven't you, with that?
0: Yeah. So I've been playing for Port Vale for, this will be my fifth season, but I've played football for a long time. I've been playing for over 20 years now, but I have, just over a year ago, I sustained an ACL injury and had surgery on that in June. So coming back now.
1: Well, it's it's great to have you on the podcast. And a big thing with this podcast is we don't just want footballers or sports psychs. We want people from different backgrounds because performing under pressure is a generalizable skill. So in summary, You're a coach, you're a business owner, you're a footballer, you're a teacher, and you're a broadcaster as well, aren't you? And a mum.
0: Yeah, and a mum. to top it all off. Yeah, so I have a nine-year-old son as well. Um, So yeah, lots lots to do. Very demanding.
1: Okay, well, it'd be great to hear about all these different perspectives today. And I'm going to start with a question that might be quite hard to answer given your lack of spare time. <laughs> but just tell us the kind of things that you like to do if you do get a chance to switch off. And we always like to ask our guests, what's your guilty pleasure?
0: So actually, boringly, my what I enjoy doing in my spare time is things like gyms, running, walking. I actually do love reading. I do lots of reading around all the different areas. So I love um, an autobiography or a, a a rom-com fiction book. Um, I also love reading about about business. I love reading around leadership and teaching, but I also love a Disney film. That's my guilty pleasure.
1: <laughs> Can we press you for your most favourite one?
0: My favourite Disney? Anything princessy. Beauty and the Beast.
1: <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Jack, have you got a favourite Disney film?
2: I'm just going to say Aladdin. Aladdin? Yeah, I could do my own magic carpet.
1: Yeah, I think if I was pressed, I'd probably go Lion King. Yeah, yeah, the Mufasa Simba story is always very moving <laughs> for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And just to move the conversation more in, in the direction now of performing under pressure. When we say that term, performing under pressure, how would you, what do you understand by that term?
0: So for me, if I'm performing under pressure, it'd be in a situation where I feel like I'm dependent on a a little bit. So if, for example, I take broadcasting, the people that listen to the football are ones that can't be at the game. So they're dependent on me to summarise and to tell them what is happening in front of me so that they can almost envisage it. With teaching, they're dependent on me to give them the education to enjoy that sport or to enjoy PE or to enjoy school. With the coaching, it's the same. And with football, with playing again, if someone's dependent on me to play my role within a, within the club, like as captain or as player, they're dependent on me in a certain situation. So that for me is performing under pressure.
1: Brilliant. Uh, to me, the key word there that that I'm thinking of is responsibility. You can't have performing under pressure without a degree of responsibility. Is is that a central part of your understanding? Would you say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's. I'm responsible for making sure that someone enjoys something or gets something out of something.
2: And it's obviously with all that responsibility that you've got, Megan, it sounds like I kinda know the answer to this question, but do you think you enjoy pressure?
0: I welcome pressure, but I wouldn't say I enjoy it. Um okay. yeah.
2: And what do you mean by that? Does it do you feel like it would bring the best out of you rather than enjoy it?
0: I think it can bring the best out of me because I think, and I think it's about standard where most people are quite critical of themselves. So, you know, the first time I ever did the broadcasting, which was completely out of my comfort Mm -hmm. zone, sort of teaching and coaching interlinks and playing, they all interlink a little bit, but the broadcasting was very, very different for me. So having that pressure and having my first co-coms job, I was very critical of myself after and probably put more pressure on myself than anybody else put onto me but it meant for a better second attempt third attempt and every time I do it I feel like I improve the the knowledge that I'm putting across
2: where does that outlook come from does that stem from your you know how you've grown up or is it something you've had to grow into
0: I think when I was younger I mean I'm one of five siblings and it was a very busy household and you're always sort of fighting for that sort of attention I suppose and my dad was quite not pushy pushy is the wrong word but with sport for um, you know I was the only one about five who really pushed on in sport he pushed me down and you know he encouraged it in, in a healthy way but I think when I say healthy I suppose being looked back on it probably wasn't healthy to say you should have been doing this better you should have been doing that better but that sort of sticks in your brain a little bit yeah. about how you reflect on your own performance in anything you do.
2: Okay. And so uh, I suppose a big part of your growing up then and growing into thriving off pressure, I suppose, comes from that environment, growing up with that many siblings and they feel well is is tricky. So you've had to find your own way of dealing with that, I suppose. Have you always felt the same towards pressure? And I know you've kind of moved, you know, as you've been getting a little bit older, you've started to thrive on it a little bit more and that might have stemmed from your growing up but do you still feel the same as you did when you started teaching for example or is it something that a bit more maturity now you've 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 got a bit of a different outlook on it
0: yeah i've definitely grown into having pressure within my life i think that when i used to feel a little bit of pressure i used to throw myself into doing new things because i wanted to do them <laughs> but i felt like you know, that sort of imposter syndrome that I felt like I couldn't. And when I was a little bit younger, I probably would have pulled out of things at last minute and come up with some form of excuse to not do it because it was starting to sort of stress me out. The thought of doing something that I perhaps thought I shouldn't be doing, it should have been someone else doing it. And it's taken me a long time to force myself to do these things, even under pressure, to sort of get over the pressure a little bit, I suppose.
1: Yeah. and. I think that's a real key learning for anybody that's that's listening. Is that you said about not necessarily enjoying pressure, but you welcome the chance to have situations of pressure. I think that was a really useful phrase that that you that you said, because it's not easy when we're faced with a stressful situation. But it's never going to get easier if you just keep avoiding those situations. So. I'm interested, and you can talk about this in any of your roles now, this next question.
2: This might take a
1: while. (laughs) Yeah, and please do. It's interesting. Have you had any formal training in performing under pressure? Because as a teacher, you obviously get training on how to deliver content and subject-specific content as well. As a footballer, there's plenty on the technical and the tactical. But has anyone ever sat you down and helped you come up with strategies about performing under pressure?
0: I mean, in a word, no. I've never really had that sort of formal training. For For myself, I think it's been more of a trial and error of performing under pressure. And there's, like you said, in, in all my different roles, there's different areas of pressure. Like I'm taught in teaching how to teach and every day is a school day because everybody in school is a drama teacher. Every day is an act. Everything you do isn't, you know, Mrs. Baldwin... It's not the same person as Meg Baldwin, Captain of Port Vale. is isn't the same of person as Meg Baldwin, who's broadcasted on BBC Radio Stoke. We're all different people, but it's how you act in that moment and in that role. So performing under pressure in school... The formal training is within the lesson, but I suppose it pushes you down the right route of how to do it, which relieves a little bit of that pressure. Because if someone helps you beforehand, then it kind of helps relieve that pressure. Like when I first spoke to Phil about doing it as a broadcaster, he wasn't ever just going to send me in blind because that's more pressure, isn't it? But because he rang me and had that conversation was, this is what I'll say. And that's the type of thing you need to do after. I'll do this. And then this is what you need to type of do type type of thing you need to do. So it's not formal training, but it's probably more subconscious training into helping you perform under pressure.
1: So what I'm hearing there is that preparation is a really great way to help you to perform under pressure. And I guess that's the same with your lesson plans. You're not going in just blind and and teaching off the cuff, are you? You're spending time preparing. And it sounds like the conversations with your co-commentator are critical in allowing you to perform under pressure what kind of strategies would you would you say that either consciously or subconsciously you do employ? So say you're about to go live on air and there's going to be quite a few people listening, or say you're about to deliver an assembly to 200 students who we know can be quite judgmental. What kind of things might you say to yourself or what kind of things might you do in those immediate 10 minutes or so before that situation?
0: So the immediate 10 minutes or so before, I will always review anything that I've done prior. So like you've said about preparation, that's one of my main areas to make sure that I am focused and ready for whatever I'm going to do. So in that little spare time that I do have, I'm always preparing for the next thing that I'm doing. So if I, you know, even my first ever broadcasting game was Shrewsbury Away with Vale, I researched Shrewsbury till I was literally blue in the face because I, I wanted to, and even though through re- Radio Stoke, I didn't necessarily need to know about Shrewsbury. I needed to know about Vale. I possibly needed to have a little bit of insight on Shrewsbury, is what Phil said. But mm-hmm. in my own head, I didn't want to be on radio and not know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So my preparation was across two A4 sides of paper with things that I could constantly refer back to. And that's continued through because that worked well for me. And it's the same with delivering that assembly or whatever it might be. But then there is an element of my own self-care. So I might, before that, not think about it at all. That There is immediate 10 minutes. I might not think about the assembly I'm about to deliver. I might go into my office and make myself a coffee and just sit down and have some music on or fold bibs because it's something completely irrelevant to what I'm about to do. So sometimes I feel like not thinking about it forces me to not overthink what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say to those 200 students or what I'm about to say to other people on Radio Stoke or the kids in front of me I'm about to teach.
1: Yeah, there's loads of useful information there. And just to kind of recap, overthinking things can be a really dangerous strategy. That's what I'm hearing from that. And we've already mentioned about the preparation, but quite interested in the distraction technique that you're just trying to take your mind somewhere else. And that as a consequence stops you from overthinking in the moment. The next thing that I want to ask you about is mistakes in performance are inevitable. Whether you're a broadcaster and you get a player's name wrong, whether you're a player and you make a really poor pass that leads to a goal. So you will have made mistakes undoubtedly in your career. What kind of strategies do you employ in the moment to stop that mistake defining your match or escalating into a real big meltdown on the show, for example?
0: Well, I'm definitely a lot better at that now than I was 10 years ago, more so with playing because broadcasting and teaching is more of a, a recent thing for myself. But now I I know not to get into my own head. So if I do a bad pass, 10 years ago, I'd have gone like, I have to make that right. And the more that I try to make that right, the worse it gets. And then I'll make another mistake, which will continually build mm-hmm. that and it will make it worse for me until the point where I need like a half time to come, or I need the end of the game to come, and it's that sense of relief. But now I know it's just one of those things that's done, and you learn from it. And it's what I say to my students all the time now: mistakes are lessons that we learn. And if you don't make those mistakes, you will never learn. It's okay to get things wrong. It's okay to say an answer that you might not think is right, but you're going to learn from that. Whether that's in a lesson, in broadcast, and getting the name wrong. You know, I've had people listening. That will message me things on Twitter saying, "Did you mean that, Meg?" No, probably not. But <laughs> that's it. Now we've moved on. Now we're at the next phase of play. Or you know that happened ten minutes ago. I got that wrong. You know what I meant. So we're, we're all alright. And it's it's really not the end of the world. And that's what the type of knowledge that I try and impart on students or anyone around me now, or anyone that feels an element of pressure towards what they're going to do.
2: It sounds sorry, but it sounds like there's a lot of comparability between some, the way you look at life outside of sport. <laughs> and a life away from teaching to how you probably are as a person. Is that the case?
0: Yeah, so I think I I tie everything I do together in some way, shape or form. And like I was explaining earlier, my outlook on performing under pressure is I don't enjoy it, but I welcome it because having it means I'm pushing myself and I'm pushing boundaries in my life and in my home life and with everyone around me. And if I don't do those things... I'll never do them. And I wouldn't be doing all those roles or having all those things in my life now if I didn't push myself. And that might mean cause myself that little bit of anxiety before doing something or putting myself under pressure. But it's helped me to grow as a person and other people need to understand that you will find yourself in those situations, but you will come out the other side. And what can't be done today can be done tomorrow. And those mistakes that you will make, will make, you will learn from.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a really healthy attitude to um, mistakes. And what I heard in, in your answer, first of all, is that when you make a mistake in a match or on air, you just accept it and you're able to park it and quickly move on rather than getting caught up in a cycle of... Or laugh at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And humour can be a really good way to diffuse, especially in the... In certain contexts yeah. can be a great way to diffuse a mistake. But it seems like you have a really good culture that you're promoting with your students about mistakes are inevitable. And if you make them when you're trying to do the right thing, this is inevitable and we can learn from it. And I just wonder, for me growing up in the 1990s, I don't think I ever really heard that message. And often if you made a mistake in a match or in class, you might just be admonished by a teacher and almost like shouted at. And I wonder, do you see a change generally culturally from when you were younger to now that mistakes are considered to be normal, part of life and part of learning?
0: Yeah, and I think that comes down to the education of the teachers now. So there's Mm -hmm. uh, there's more of that science behind the ways that we learn and that's now being imparted on students that it is okay to make mistakes because that is something you will learn from there. I, you know, I went to school in the, well, primary school in the (laughs) nineties and it was, I suppose it was the same then, like if you got something wrong that you were expected to get right, it would be, well, I taught you that last week, but that's not teaching. That's telling me. And that's something that has been learned and we've moved on from it. And now the way we educate young people is, is very different.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And Thinking about your role as a teacher, but also as a captain of Port Vale, I've asked you how you cope with pressure yourself. How do you help your teammates cope with pressure? Because undoubtedly you will have had younger players come into the team and they might have outwardly shown that they were anxious. So what kind of things are you doing either the day before or in the dressing room to help that player perform under pressure?
0: Um, it's uh, as, as in that role in my captain, captaincy role and in sort of being more of an experienced player and having been that player that was possibly a little bit of an- anxiety coming into certain games or into new teams, you sort of learn to know your team. So you know, the girls in the dressing room and it's, it's a learning again, it's a trial and error thing because some girls might like to be left alone. Some girls sometimes need that, that arm around them, that shoulder to cry on if it gets that far. Some girls like you checking in away from the other girls. It might be a text. It might be a call. And it's about knowing those around you. But it's always a case of listening in the first instance because sometimes that might just be what they need to take the pressure away and just say, you know, thanks for letting me know. You know where I am if you want to talk again because it might just be a weight of their shoulders. But sometimes it might be, well, yeah, actually I can empathize with that because you know I went through something similar or i you know I've this is what I've known from somebody else who's gone through something similar and this is how that person's dealt with it this is how I might deal with it but they also need to find how they're going to deal with it because they can't continue to you know they can't always take my approach because it might not work for them but they might continue to do it and put themselves under more pressure because that might not be working for them they need to find their own coping mechanism, mechanisms, not use McBaldwins. Obviously, I'll never get that right.
2: It sounds like you you try and model good behaviours, but also accept that other people are their own individuals. I'm really interested to know if you put that into an education context, where you're potentially, you know, you're teaching two, three hundred students, different students each week. How do you know what you work, what how, what works for each of those individuals? Because, you know. I'm not being pessimistic here, Megan, but I don't think that you know 300 (laughs) students that well. So, I mean, what sort of things could you do when it's on that grander scale?
0: I think sometimes students give you signs and signals of you getting an understanding. And there are students that you will know possibly won't come to you as a PE teacher, but would be happy going to another um, subject specialist teacher because that's where they enjoy it. I know that I'm more likely, you know, we, we have a mentor system at school and each student has to list three teachers that they wouldn't mind as a mentor. And I could probably tell you off the top of my head, 10 year 11 students that will put my name down as number one, because chance are they really like sport, they really like football or they support Port Vale. And they're the ones that will come to me. So kind of, you, I don't have to understand all 300, but I have to have an idea of Those are probably more similar to me in characteristic traits, but it's the ones that aren't sporty that I need to understand more. But then it's more seeking advice or speaking to them. Or sometimes it might just be saying to them, is there someone you want to talk to? Because I probably know in the back of my head it's not me. But they might say, I don't mind talking to you, miss. They might say, or do you mind if I find so-and-so? Or do, do you know where this person is? But there's lots of coping mechanisms in school that are in place as standard before i have to think about what i have to do as a teacher
2: do you feel those those different ages in schools you know to a, a time where those young people will start to mature very quickly but obviously at different rates do you think there's a, a big difference between the way or a, a difficulty that a year 11 might have in comparison to a year 7 when dealing with pressure like that
0: well it's all pressure to everybody individually is their own form of pressure they what it, it was all relative to themselves what I find pressure for me myself personally might not be something that you would find as a as a situation that causes anxiety or pressure for yourself. And it's the same from seven to 11. So, a year seven might fall out with their friendship group, and that is the biggest drama they've got going on in their world at that moment in time. But that's relative to them, and you can't brush that under the carpet because it's a breakdown in friendship group. But the year 11, chances are their pressure, their anxieties, their stresses is coming from GCSEs or things going on at home as they get a little bit older. So, pressure and anxieties and stresses are relative to those individuals and it could just be for a year seven you deal with the friendship group at hand or the homework that they might have forgotten because that's what's stressing them out but for year 11 you would deal with that probably very differently on a more mature scale with them.
2: How does performing well on live radio or in the classroom compare to performing well as an elite footballer and do you think those skills are transferable?
0: They are transferable I think I think that the skills are transferable in the knowledge behind it so I can you know as a more experienced player now I know what a number 8 role should be doing at this part which I can explain on the radio and so that's why BBC Radio Stoke wanted someone who plays football in that summarizing role so that's where those link over I think in the classroom it's slightly different because football is my specialism but PE and sport is my job so the live radio and the football link more in that sense than me as a PE teacher the PE, the PE teacher role is probably a lot more stressful in some ways because there's like those 200 and 300 people that I come into contact with every week they're dependent on me every single week every single day for five years
2: does that help you perform well the fact yeah. that they're reliant on
0: you. yeah they're, that little number they get from their progress eight at the end of 11 is a reflection on how I've done in my job for the previous five years. Where Port Vale end at the end of the season on the table, I make a difference, but it's not solely on me. it's not it's that's that team game and although it's a team effort for those those students from seven to 11 as head of department for PE that number I'm accountable for I'm not responsible necessarily wholly for that student or for that number but I'm accountable for it and that's not where they link
2: it sounds like there's a lot of comparability again and there's this in terms of particularly in terms of compartmentalizing things and that that's a way of negotiating that pressure in any environment along with the experiences that you gain. do you think there's any other similarities or differences between those settings that you're involved with that really stand out as being able to either help you perform well or deal with that pressure that you think actually that doesn't happen anywhere
0: else I don't know really because I think they all they I think it's it's down to the individual and the way I deal with it it's more that I do what I do in each role that helps me deal with each bit and the preparation it all links in doesn't it the, the preparation that comes beforehand the reflection that comes after in whatever role you're doing at that time whether it's in or out of sport whether it's in a environment that is a a bit more alien to you it all comes down to you as an individual and how you perform under those pressures and how you your own mindset i suppose and support you've got around you as well
2: if you had to leave listeners with one takeaway message to help them perform under pressure what would it be
0: to welcome to welcome the pressure and to hit it head on like i said earlier on I'm a drama teacher every single day because everything I do is a, is an act. Everything, every role I have, I act differently or I deal with it differently. I would also say that I fake a lot of my confidence into my roles because if other people see that I'm a confident person and I see that that person's got confidence in me, that confidence then is a bit more autonomous. It happens. I feel a lot more confident in those situations because I've faked it in the first instance, then I've made it, and then it's there. So I would always say to anyone to almost put yourself into that situation. And if it's something you really, really don't enjoy once you've done it, then you've tried. Then there's going to be something else you can do where you can challenge yourself and push yourself. But always welcome pressure and find your own coping mechanism
1: and if that if that student or if that player doesn't succeed at least they've learned from it so that's like the worst possible outcome isn't it that you've learned from it and yeah. I think what you've just said is a real helpful way to help we know that young people as well who haven't built up these coping mechanisms can be a little bit more backwards in coming forwards sometimes so by you giving that kind of advice do you find that it perhaps can can free them up to to step over the line and to put themselves forward.
0: Yeah, it makes it a bit more rounded, doesn't it? You know, you've made a mistake, you've learned from it, you go again. You've made a mistake, you learn from it, so you go again. So in some way you will find the best way for you to deal with things. Like I'm now 31 years old and I've, like I said earlier, I've not long realised that I need to fake being myself to get over so my own insecurities, my own imposter syndromes, my own lack of confidence in certain areas to become confident in those areas, to really find the real Meg Baldwin and how she deals with things.
1: And it's so important that young people have got people like yourself who are given these messages because if we've had to wait until we're in our 30s to, to, to feel that, that's quite a long time, isn't it? You need that information and those uh, bits of advice when you're in your adolescence or even maybe younger. Yeah. Because it is such a tricky time, isn't it, for for people? So just to round things off, first of all, I'd I'd really like to thank you for your time coming in today and for my co-host Jack in uh, imparting his wisdom as well on today's session. So thank you very much. And what I've just done, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I've just made some bullet points about some of the standout messages that you've given today. So for, for everyone listening, for me, what really stood out was that Meg is someone that really doesn't necessarily enjoy stressful situations, but she's someone who can relish the opportunity provided by them. She's somebody who paints a really good picture about mistakes, not only for herself, if she makes a mistake in a match, because she knows that that could lead to other mistakes, but also how she puts messages about mistakes across to her teammates, to the young people that she works with. I really liked, as well, your point about when I asked you about helping other players or other young people, it'd been a very individual process. We can't just assume that we've got this one magic trick that's going to help everybody to perform under pressure, and not everybody wants to be treated in the same way. So I think that was a really good insight as well that you shared. And finally, and this is very, very similar to what Matt Smith said on the first episode, Preparation is such a key way to help you to perform under pressure because if you're going into a situation and you're not prepared straight away, you're going to be feeling panicked you know, by that, but at the same time, not overdoing it and not overthinking. So I think that's a real key message that, that we can take from today's session. So thanks once again for your time. Thank you as well, Jack, and we look forward to delivering the next episode Stuff's universities performing under pressure podcast.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.